From the West Australian, it's Thursday the 14th of December. I'm Ben O'Shea and this is The West Live. The West Live. The West Live with Ben O'Shea. We've spoken a lot on the show about cost of living pressures and the struggles of West Aussie families right now. But today we learned of a true Christmas miracle. An anonymous Bunbury man has paid off the entire waiting list of laybys at the local toy world, gifting thousands of dollars in presents. The total amount of laybys he bought out was $12,500. The shop owners said the response from the public has been overwhelming, with many families not knowing their laybys had been paid off until they went in to collect their purchase. And this is not the first time this has happened. Another benefactor paid the company's laybys in 2021. Now, the owners of the business have been tight-lipped on who the secret Santa is, but said that this year's donations came from a different person than the one two years ago. At any rate, it doesn't even matter if it is the same person, because the most important thing is someone realising they were well enough off to help those less fortunate. We should all think about how we can be that generous this festive season. Coming up on today's show, we unpack the winners and losers from COP28 and reveal some eye-catching dating stats. But first, let's see what's making news. The West Live. Making news. And joining me now in the studio is Sunrise correspondent Matt Tinney. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. Happy Friday Eve. Happy Friday Eve. And it's it's going to be a hectic end to the week with uh, work, of course, but then also a few events happening as well, company Christmas party at the end of the week. Uh, you, a hectic end to our yeah, week, have anyway. You got, have you got your outfit figured out for the company no, Christmas No, not party? at all. What was the theme? Well, festive. It's, oh, that's, but there's, but there's that's a, easy. There's always that's a just stressed. Yeah, no. From, uh, look, I'm not aiming to go for best dress. I'm aiming to eat the oysters. That's, oh, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's my aim. But I'll just have a party shirt and maybe shorts or jeans or something. Oh, yeah. What about yeah. you? Uh, no, Are you getting no, a no tan special. for it? Uh, no, no, <laughs> I'm not going to. But I might get one um, before the journalist Christmas party. Wait and see. Oh, why? Um, hang on a minute. Hang on, everyone. Why for the journalist Christmas party, but not for the big I didn't seven have time. West Most, media well, I would have this oh, okay. week, but I just didn't have time. I'm sure Tony would fit you in. Yeah, I, I'm sure he would. It's, it's my schedule that's the problem. He's, he's featuring on this podcast almost as much yeah. as Tay-Tay yeah, now. Exactly. If we can find some way to combine both of those <laughs> things. And now the other big news, apart from our spray tan uh, guy, is uh, the West Test. The West Test uh, kicks off today. Is kick off? Is that the right term? I don't know. Uh, bowls off. Toss, bowls off. <laughs> Doesn't sound good. Uh, it's he, happening. It's you're happening. not the biggest cricket fan, though, right? Oh, yeah, I'll happily admit that. In fact, it was floated. Oh, should Vance do cricket maybe next year? And I was like, no, no, no. It's a long like, day. It's a long day. It's a long day. I cricket. don't need that in my life. Soccer, basketball, yes. Yeah, I always enjoyed playing cricket as a kid. It is Did fun. You? Yeah, because you're mostly just sitting well, around with your mates. So it's a very, talking, how talking do I put shit. it, sort of this sort of Australian sort oh, of Australian, sport, mate. whereas growing up in an Italian household, yeah. <laughs> cricket just wasn't even a feature. <laughs> and so, but... Uh, follow footy. But, and, yeah. and you'd see... Uh, Usman Kawaja is not going to be wearing those shoes yeah, now. Yeah, because of the ICC guidelines, yeah. but he's going to appeal that. Yeah, he's going to appeal. So we'll wait and see so what the, happens. So the argument around it is you can't make a political statement. His argument is I'm not really making a p- yeah. political statement. I'm just valuing human life. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 think, I think, though, in a way, 
He's kind of already got the point across. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think he really needs to do it now. He probably no, has, has made, made the, the point. Made the front point. page. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so I don't know how well Pakistan is going to go. Um, Australia has just had the most incredible year in cricket, mm. um, at, you know, test championships, uh, World Cup championships. Uh, they've just been absolutely dominant and the Pakistanis not so much. Uh, but you just never know what could happen at Optus. You know, drop-in wicket um, doesn't have a lot of grass on it. Um, um, so we could see a test last well into day four, day five, just like the last time when we played we the West Indies. We don't mind a five-day test. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's on Channel 7, right? So yeah, yeah. the longer it lasts, the better. <laughs> but we'll take those I will ratings. say, though, I will say I do love a test that's over in three days. Oh, really? When, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's the bowlers have the ascendancy and they just clean up the batsmen. Okay, and you just it. like that. I love the, it. The one interesting thing about Optus Stadium is, of course, I've got the grass hill. So they've taken four yeah. bays out. So we've got it. a bit of the soul of the Wacker Ground. I saw it firsthand. Yeah, what did you um, think? It's very small. <laughs> it's I, I don't know why I think How many people do you think it'll fit? Oh gosh. Fifty, I think, comfortably. Okay. Um, but maybe maybe not even that many. It looked like they had bean bags for set up there for maybe about thirty or so. Okay. Um so it's kind of like it's fine, but it's you know, it's not like the the old hill where you'd have, you know, Hundreds, hundreds and hundreds people. and hundreds yeah. of people all sitting there with their eskies and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty nice. Uh, the big question for me is what the grass in the outfield is going to look like after the Coldplay concert. Um, because when I looked at when I was at Optus on the weekend, um, that one third of the ground was all sand. It looks really? terrible. It looked terrible. Oh well, I'm sure they fixed that by today. I don't know how fast grass grows, but um, we'll, I don't know. We'll, if we'll you see. watch it, it doesn't uh, grow we'll, fast. No, no. <laughs> I think they might it. get at the green spray paint, and oh. I reckon I think that could well be the case. Um, um, but one, the other two-thirds of the ground looked immaculate. Looked okay. Um, so we'll wait and see. Uh, but it's going to be fascinating. Good to see this this summer of cricket. Doesn't matter off. if it's the outfield anyway. No, nah, no. Nah. Uh, the Aussies will be hitting over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and now this story is a shocking one about a 10-year-old who drove a stolen car full of kids head-on at a police car in the Kimberley um, and now has gone before a magistrate found not guilty. Yes, avoided punishment. So the boy has been acquitted of all charges in Kununurra because he could not understand what he did was morally wrong. So in WA, a child under 14 can't be convicted unless it's proved in court that they knew what they did was wrong. And so the court was told the boy had spent much of his life in state care and obviously the magistrate has concluded um, that this boy couldn't understand what he did was morally wrong and so all charges gone. Acquitted. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, right? Like, it's Ten years even old. Though, even, though, even though, you know, you might look at it and go, geez, is that justice? Someone could have been killed and you know, yes. this, this kid could have killed himself, could have killed the other kids in the car. But you can't really argue with the process, right? Like if, if a child doesn't really understand the consequences of their actions, um, it's hard to hard to prosecute them yeah. on that basis. Well, and, the, and the magistrate's obviously made that determination. Yeah, after his arrest, he asked the police for some cordial, like yeah. kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, it's, there's some broader issues I don't issues know what colour the cordial here. was broader that he asked for. Play but, here. Yeah. Um, and now the poor old whale that uh, entertained oh, people yeah. at Port Beach <laughs> and then washed up um, uh, on Rockingham Beach. I love the way you put entertained people. Like well, everyone was, was entertained. I uh, know, yeah. It was there dying. I know but the whale wasn't that happy. No. And now it is officially uh, moved on off this model coil. Yeah, so the skeleton of the whale um, could actually be put on display at WA Museum. I like that. Yeah. So an excavation... Hang on a minute. You like something? What? Yeah. <laughs> 
Hang on. I'll tell you, I don't keep... like how long it's going to take, though. Yes, well, it takes a little while for the body of a whale to break down. Um, an excavator and digger pulled the 40-ton whale onto land after its remains were towed by two boats to a jetty in Henderson, and the whale attracted multiple sharks. We saw some of those pictures, um, forcing Rockingham Beach to be closed. So today, what's going to happen? 200-ton crane will arrive to take the whale to a site for burial, and it's understood that this whale was an older animal, about yeah. 80 years old, and so it's very... Very uh, rare for an animal of that age to appear close to the coast. So samples have been taken in order for scientists to study them. Um, And there are talks the skeleton could be put on display at the WA Museum in about five years. Yeah, why is it going to take so long? uh, It's it's got to break down. Can't you just leave it out in the sun and the ants will get to it? It's a big whale. It Still, takes a lot of time. It wouldn't take five years if you just left it out. I think they, the there must be a reason. They bury it, it and then they dig it back up. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I would just take it out to the bush. Just leave yeah. it there for a while. Let the animals get to it. Yeah, and, and then, then just come back in a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks, you reckon it'll be gone. Yeah. You might lose a few bones along the way if the dingo comes and grabs one or something. But still, uh, five years. I don't have the patience of five years. I'm sure WA Museum has a a specific process in order to do this for display. Are you saying that they probably know more than me when it comes to... uh, Look, you may know more when it comes to epidemiology, but when it comes to decomposing whales... (laughs) Oh, look, I defer. I defer to their wisdom. Um, Tesla, which you don't have to drive too far around Perth without seeing a ton of Teslas. I only went in one for the first time the other day. I've never been in one got one okay so you get in firstly i was like how do i get in where's the door handle because it's just this minimalist design and then i got in and i was like where's the rest of this car it reminded me of the sort of newer trams in melbourne like there's nothing on the dash and there's just a big screen yeah, so it's, it's like the contents of Elon Musk's head mostly empty. Um, but now, now you might want to you might want to tell your friend about this next story mm. though. So what's happened? More than two million Teslas have been recalled in the U.S. So basically, every Tesla sold since 2015 has been recalled. What's wrong with them? The autopilots feature. So uh, regulators in uh, America believe that the autopilot is partly defective uh, and it follows a two-year investigation into crashes that occurred when autopilot was in use. Do we, we wouldn't have autopilot So we don't have autopilot here. here in Australia, I don't think. No. Um, and it's a subscription feature in the US. So you ah. pay about 199 bucks US a month um, to have autopilot, which is kind of a self-driving thing. So you just plug in where you want to go and it takes yeah, you. It's yeah. like getting into an Uber with no yeah, driver. That, I, think, I think it's only, it only works kind of like on freeways and stuff, like straight kind of roads where you can kind of take your hands off the wheel and the car will stay That's in the right. lanes. Like imagine it, I don't yeah. think it goes around corners very well, okay. um, obviously. Well, so you can just do whatever you want, look on your phone yeah, or read yeah, the paper. I'll tell you what, there is some wacky videos out there on the internet, um, depending on which website you go to, of things that people are doing um, while autopilot is Is this engaged. a link to our story about... <laughs> <laughs> yesterday about this, the cameras capturing certain things in the front seat. It is a follow-up. Um, uh, but it's So a recall, as we would traditionally think of it, is when, okay, all, you have to bring all the cars back yes. to the dealerships and you without your car for a little while. Yeah. The beauty of a car like a Tesla is that's not how recalls work. Elon Musk has tweeted that um, they're, they're doing a software update over the air, oh, so, so they're just, just remote. Like, they're just remote, so they're going to remotely update all these Teslas, uh, fix the problem, and that's counted as the recall. Wow! Yes, how about that? That's eh? interesting. Yeah, uh, but this autopilot is worth a ton to Tesla in the US, so they reckon it'll be worth as much as fifty billion dollars in revenue by wow. twenty thirty, because they reckon automation is the way to go. So, so we'll have it probably is here there eventually. Any sort of fault on their part for these crashes. 
Is anyone suing them? Well, they say that if you look at the stats, autopilot is still much safer than regular human drivers. Okay. So, you know, that's their yeah, argument, but still, I guess. If, but if autopilot has caused the crash... Yeah, I know. I, anyway. well, I think there's multiple lawsuits unfolding in the US. Um, so we'll wait and see. Uh, and, Maddie, we'll get you up a bit later for the Wild West. Sounds good. You're listening to The West Live. COP28, the latest instalment of the UN's annual climate forum, is in the history books and it'll be remembered for its controversies, mostly surrounding the decision to stage it in the United Arab Emirates, a nation built on the sale of fossil fuel. And then there was the COP28 president, Sultan Al-Jabbar, who is the CEO of an oil company. But now the talk fest has finished, we can take a look at the results and try to figure out if the world got any closer to preventing its own destruction. And here to help us do that is Director of the Institute for Climate, Energy and Disaster Solutions at the Australian National University, Professor Mark Howden. Professor Howden, welcome to The West Live. Good morning, Ben. And so there was a lot of last-minute manoeuvring on COP28 draft texts. Words were put in, words were taken out. Now we have a finalised statement. I've seen it labelled alternatively historic and also weak. What does the final statement say? Uh, essentially, it says that it would be a great idea if countries started to move away from fossil fuels. No, oh, it does sound like a great idea. And so does it go far enough? Uh, probably not. I think uh, if, you, if you talk to the Pacific Islands, uh, they, they you know, have termed this essentially a death sentence. Uh, the, whilst it does um, recognise the need for fossil fuels as a group rather than just a single thing like coal, um, which was in the Glasgow text, um, it recognises fossil fuels as a group are the problem and we need to transition away from them. Um, unfortunately, the, the details around um, how quickly we need to do that uh, are pretty blurry um, and essentially it's an option. It's presented as, uh, you know, countries are encouraged to transition away from fossil fuels. So it's pretty weak language, but at least it's uh, um, moving in the right direction, but just not really fast enough or firmly enough. Yeah, right. And so for people listening and thinking, oh, well, transition away from fossil fuels, that's what we want to do. Can you give us an idea of how specific language in a statement like this uh, creates wiggle room for nations to set their own path when it comes to fossil fuels? Yeah, so, so when, when it comes to that, um, there's wriggle room in terms of rate of change, you know, so how quickly we do it. Um, there's wriggle room in terms of whether you can uh, use carbon capture and storage and similar technologies uh, to offset or reduce your greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and, and that's a very much an, you know, a non-commercially viable technology at the moment. So, um, so it gives a lot of time for people to say, oh, let's do this. Um, but then when it doesn't work, we say, oops, you know, sorry about that. You know, but, you know, 15 years down the track, you've, you've got a lot more accumulated climate change. Um, uh, and, and there's also um, wriggle room in terms of uh, the finance and the similar supportive actions around that, which might be needed to um, essentially compensate uh, countries for damage. Mm. And so if you're looking at the end result of COP28, who would you say are the big winners in all this? Uh, in in my, my take of it is this is uh, exactly what the fossil fuel lobbies and countries uh, would have liked. Um, it, uh, it gives a, a strong impression of progress, but without real commitments to do so.
Yeah, it's interesting. Like when you're having a climate change forum and the big winners of the fossil fuel industry, I'm not sure you really got that one right. Uh, and so then you mentioned Pacific Island nations. Uh, would you say that they're the biggest losers in this? Who else lost big at COP28? Well, probably in anyone who feels that uh, climate change is an issue for them. Um, uh, so, so it's not just the Pacific Islands, but there are obviously the the low lying Pacific Islands, uh, and sea level rise is is a, is a fundamental challenge to their existence. Uh, but right across the globe, including parts of Australia and especially southwestern WA, um, we're already seeing the impacts of climate change in a very substantial way, which is impacting on agriculture and water resources, on human health, on our environment. In, in Australia, we've had the first mammalian climate change extinction, you know, so we're the flag bearers for animal extinction from climate change. So it's not a great, you know, look to have on an international stage. Um, and so, so pretty much anyone who um, is either concerned about what's already happening or what might happen in their patch or for their sector uh, should be concerned about this because it doesn't paint the way to reduce greenhouse gas emissions at the rate that's needed to offset climate change and keep it down to 1.5 degrees. Mm. Well, you're talking about uh, that 1.5 degrees. Uh, you know, we got the hottest year on record this year in 2023. Uh, we're going to give that 1.5 degrees a pretty good shake in the next couple of years. So where do we go from here? Well, <clears throat> the projections from the last IPCC report would we'd hit um, 1.5 degrees probably in the early 2030s and maybe earlier. And, and what we've seen this year, I uh, would, would tend to say that's pretty much on track and, and, and we're probably on the earlier end of the spectrum. And, and that's a real concern because, you know, 1.5 degrees, uh, you know, starts to, to really cut in with, with large-scale um, consequences. Um, so where do we go from here? Uh, well, it, it really means that Australia has to take some more leadership roles. Uh, so we have to be walking the talk uh, to an extent that we um, have only just started to recently. Um, we need to find ways of having a prosperous uh, economy, um, a viable environment, uh, but um, but at the same time um, reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. And, and by and large, we know how to do that. You know, we've got lots of options in the energy sector, in the transport sector, um, including in the mining sector, uh, to reduce our emissions to get the things that we want. And and that's where the smarts need to come in. You know, how do we get the stuff that we want, but with a much lower environmental footprint? And if we do that well, we'll actually end up with major export opportunities and, and major pride in our nation because we'll actually be leading the world. Yeah, I think pretty good advice indeed and just hope the people in power are listening because we know hindsight is twenty twenty. but, uh, geez, 15 years from now, if we look back uh, and think of all we could have done to prevent a looming disaster, geez, we'll feel pretty bloody stupid, that's for sure. Uh, Director of the Institute for Climate, Energy and Disaster Solutions at the Australian National University, Professor Mark Howden, thanks for joining me and sharing your insights on The West Live. Thanks very much, Ben. Western Power have issued a local Karanup resident a defect notice to fix a power pole, and now he could be forced to cough up $3,000. I've got Ron Vandersloos on the phone now. Ron, tell me about the power pole in your front yard. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I share a power pole with my neighbour. Um, uh, well, actually sits more on his, his property boundary. Um, and, yeah, we share, we share the pole. Um, so from, from the... 
uh, from across the road, you've got your mains power feed running down that side of the street, and then there's two cables, uh, well, there's one cable running across and then two cables uh, running to each resident. So, um, yeah, so I bought the house about eight years ago, um, and I had no idea that I was uh, responsible for maintaining uh, that power pole along with my neighbour. So um, I always thought that it was a responsibility of, uh, of Western Power um, until I was notified earlier this year that uh, Western Power had identified uh, my property and my neighbour's property as um, having a private power pole. I went, oh, OK. So I wandered out front, had a bit of a look, and thought, oh, that sits, um, you know, it could be argued that it sits, you know, sort of outside of my um, my property because it was very close to the letterbox and I always thought the letterbox was the um, the property boundary um, if you couldn't find a, um, a survey post and didn't really think too much of it until I received a, a, um, a letter on the 13th of November from uh, Western Power, again stating that I had a, uh, that my house was fed by a private power pole uh, and that... Um, um, I was connected to the network via that, that power pole and that I'm responsible for um, maintaining it and that they'll be doing inspections. And if they believed, if the inspection revealed that the power pole was de uh, defected in any way and it was a safety risk, that they would disconnect my power immediately. Yeah, well, and you're not the only one in this boat, Ron. Uh, there are 150,000 no. private power poles in WA, and Western Power mm -hmm. has looked at about 100,000 of them um, and issued 25,000 notices recommending some of these poles be replaced. Uh, yep. So it's a pretty, a pretty tough reality for people who, like you, may have bought a house weren't aware that uh, yep. the power pole was their responsibility. Uh, I'm assuming you've gone back to Western Power. What have they said to you? Uh, at this stage, uh, Ben, I haven't gone back to Western Power because I, um, I, I suppose I just wanted to, to do a little bit more fact-finding before I went back to them with all guns blazing and, and, and just, get, but, you know, just have them put the, put the shutters up and say, well, um, you know, here's, here's a link to... Um, uh, to our terms and conditions for, for private power poles, because that, that's what exactly what they'll do. They'll just, you know, they'll just um, show me the policy and say, "Here you go, um, read this," and um, you know that that'll probably be the end of the end of the sort of argument from their perspective. But yeah, I just wanted to do a bit more research and talk to my neighbour and, and you know see where what our next steps are. But it, it's it's um, it's funny because you know you never really take much notice of um, this sort of stuff. You know, when you're walking around the streets, you know, walking the dog, that sort of thing. But, you know, everywhere I go now, I'm, I'm walking around, I'm noticing all these power poles, and they're all very similar to mine in that, you know, I've got the rust. They've been identified, well, mine's been identified as having rust on the top, and there's, there's, two, there's two prongs which sort of sit up, and they call them bull bars, and that's where your uh, feed to your house is secured. So, um, yeah, 25,000 people getting a, uh, getting a um, you know, rather... Um, Big surprise is, um, yeah, I think um, there's a lot of unhappy, unhappy people around the place at the moment. Yeah, just before Christmas as well. So, what yeah. do you think? What do you think you're going to be able to go back and say to Western Power? Well, look, I just want to, I, I just want to say how unfair it is, and and the fact that I had no idea whatsoever. So, you know, I think my my view on this is that. Um, you know, with the way technology is going these days, why, why, 
couldn't have been advised when I established a new connection. So, you know, like me, probably the, the seller of the property was possibly quite naive and didn't really think that they had to maintain a pole that potentially was, you know, on, the, on their property, a private power pole. When I connected my service, why couldn't have Western Power advised me and saying, hey, we've identified a private power pole on your property, uh, well, you, you and your neighbour share it, and that you are responsible for it. At least then I would have had some, some inkling, some idea that, um, that, that, you know, there was uh, potentially a, you know, cost outlay that I might have had to come up with uh, further down the track. Mm. Um, but, but I think... I think this might even be a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to the the judgment by the Supreme Court of Western Australia in, in July 2021 relating to the parkable fires, um, which says that Western Power must now inspect private power poles that are directly connected to the network. The inspection requirement may be reviewed within the next three years. So, you know, they've they've obviously been given a bit of a... Um, a um, you know... Kick up the bum, really, by, I think. Yeah, yeah by, the, by the Supreme Court of Western Australia. Uh, and all of a sudden now they're going around and and just you know whacking all the, whacking um, all these people around the Perth metropolitan area with these defect notices. Mm, as regional yeah. WA yeah. as well. Hey Ron, here's, yeah. here's a question yeah. for you. So you know I think I think it could well be right that the previous owner might, uh, like you, have been completely unaware of this situation regarding this private power pole. Do you think maybe mm. real estate agents who have more information have a uh, responsibility to inform prospective buyers that you know what there's a power pole on this property is part of the part of the features of the property and that's something that you're going to be responsible for going forward absolutely and i i think this will be a big wake-up call potentially for the real estate industry um if if they're you know they're they're across it which hopefully they are but now i mean look if i if i decide to sell within you know the next six to twelve months um i think it's um, incumbent on myself to let the you know the new new well, let the real estate agent know that um, I have a pole that has a defect notice against it because I don't I wouldn't feel comfortable selling a house knowing that I'm leaving them with some sort of potentially with some sort of liability because at this stage it's recommended that the power pole be replaced right but as we know, over time, that's only going to get worse and worse and worse to the point where, you know, it's going to have to be replaced. Um, I, I've made some inquiries with um, with electricians. Um, one electrician said, yeah, we can come out and inspect it, but I'll, I'll need to hire a, a cherry picker or an elevated work platform to do that. I went, I'm thinking to myself, that sounds expensive just for someone to have a quick look at it and say, well, yeah, there's a bit of surface rust there. You're probably okay for the next, you know, five years. Um, the other thing is, you know, um, what, why like the Western Power, you know, they have re resources and, and technology. What, why couldn't they be a little bit more creative here and, you know, use, uh, you know, a camera on a, uh, on a you know, extendable pole or, or a drone to do a proper inspection rather than, you know, doing it from ground level? Um, these poles are like five metres tall and, you know, um, they should have some, some technology that can absolutely say, well, that's only surface rust and probably just needs, you know, a bit of, a, bit of, um, a bit of rust, rust um, guard on there and some galvanised paint to, you know, to keep it going maybe for 10 years rather than five years, you know, so... 
Yeah, it's certainly certainly a, uh, a situation that I'm sure you're not very thrilled about and many other people in the same boat no. will be pretty unhappy no. as well if they've got these letters on the run-up to Christmas. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how it all unfolds. Uh, Ron van der Sloos from Karenup, uh, wish you all the best uh, in your fight against Thank Western you. Power to uh, keep that three grand in your pocket. Thanks for joining me on The West Live. Thank you very much, Ben. Bye-bye. The Wild West. And joining me back in the studio is Sunrise correspondent Matt Tinney. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. Now, now, I love a story involving stats, um, and especially stats around dating, because <laughs> eHarmony has released its annual dating diaries, which looks back on the previous year and tries to predict what the dating trends are for the year to come. So you, you want some stats? Please, Some tell dating me. stats? Tell me. So <laughs> one thing they focused on in this survey... Do you want survey, some stories? <laughs> yeah, well, well let's, let's compare notes. Uh, one thing that they focused on in this survey was the idea that, you know, people might be dating out of their league, you know, like you say, oh, okay. oh you know, you know, so old, punching above yeah, your weight. You know, old Steve O's punching above his weight, yes, mate, with yes, Shazza. Yes. Uh, Shazza's way out of his league. <laughs> so they asked they asked respondents to uh, speak to this particular issue. And it was different from one generation to the next, which okay. I think is fascinating. So seventy five percent of single Aussie millennials yep. say that they dated out of their league in twenty twenty three. So three in four wow. reckon they were dating out of their league. Um, and of those millennial surveyed, sixteen percent, so nearly one in five preferred that. They they would oh, rather they... be punching above their weight than punching below, below their, their weight. weight. Okay. Um, so well, well, that makes sense. But right? you get extra brownie points yeah, or something from your mates. Um, <laughs> and so, but interestingly, so Gen X, which is my generation, only seven percent of Gen Xers uh, believed that they were dating someone out of their league. Okay. So I guess Gen Xers maybe you... a bit more. Personal question here: When when you were going through the dating phase with yeah. your current partner, yeah. did you feel you were punching above your oh, weight? Oh gosh, that is a fraught question. <laughs> that I'm not sure I'm willing to answer on, on air. Oh, very, it was very even. It was, it was uh, if you looked at the tail of the tape on that one, uh, very very even on the on the okay, weight scales. Okay. Uh, is a heavyweight bout. I might ask uh, her later on and so, <laughs> tomorrow at the Christmas party. <laughs> and so, and, but interestingly, uh, so a third of Gen Z singles find okay. emotional intelligence as the most attractive quality in a partner. So Gen Z, that's or Z. That's the, yeah, I don't know whether I don't know what I'm supposed that, to say. I think there. that's Gen that's. Z or Gen I think Z. that's me. Oh, you'd say no, no, Z, Z is American. You're a millennial. Yeah, but aren't we combined now as Gen Z? No, no. I think Gen Z is the the younger. So oh, they're like okay. the you know they'd be sort of their sort of early twenties now, and millennials okay. are probably late twenties gotcha. um, to late thirties. Uh, okay. And well, so I that, was born in 1984. And so, so. that cohort, so the Gen Z cohort, um, find uh, emotional intelligence and sense of humour the most attractive quality. Um, physical attractiveness was more important to millennials. Okay, well, that makes sense. So there you to go. Me. So that's your generation. Yeah, but <laughs> that then makes sense. I suppose, like, I do think emotional intelligence is very attractive now. Do you want to get a bit raunchy? People who have got their stuff to get. Oh, why not? Okay, it hasn't so stopped us before. The, of all of the eHarmony uh, survey respondents. Oh, this was from eHarmony. eHarmony, yeah, eHarmony. What, what are Gen Z's doing on eHarmony? Yeah, I thought question. that was something for sort of like people who got divorced so and looking for love again. What percentage of people do you think want to experiment with different sexual positions in 2024? <laughs> if what you had to percentage? guess, what percentage? 
I don't know. So, but this is weird because I'm a Gemini and we're always adventurous. So oh. I'll probably say like 80%. Yeah. Well, no, only a fifth. Only 20% what? of people were interested in, in experimenting with different sexual positions. <laughs> but millennials, your generation, were leading the way. 50%. 50%. Wanted to try oh, there you something go. new. So the Gemini millennials are higher than that. I don't know who was dragging it down. Yeah. But there you go. What do they want? People just want routine. Yeah, they They're like, I do this, I do this, I do this, and then we go to sleep. No change. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I wasn't meaning to bang. (laughs) (laughs) For the people listening along, that would have created an interesting image. But I can confirm, Maddie was clapping his hands. Clapping, clapping. He was was clapping hands, not clapping cheeks. We'll be back tomorrow from 7 a.m. I hope. And don't forget to subscribe to the West Live wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Maddie, we'll talk to you then. Apparently so. You've been listening to The West Live with Ben O'Shea. If the story behind the story matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver.